3: Why would somebody like centralization? Because it probably does make sense in a lot of situations, right? And if you live in a developed world like a lot of people do, um, especially those that are purchasing NFTs, we live in a society that's based off the endorsement model, right? Like you go to the bank, you're happy you're banking with shit. You're happy you're banking with Bank of America because that is a standard and a symbol of transparency and a symbol of like, you know, a certain level of service that you can expect to have from these parties. You go to West Africa, you go to undeveloped parts of the world, you don't have that same luxury.
2: I'm Will Lucas, and this is Black Tech, Green Money. I'm going to introduce you some of the biggest names, some of the brightest minds, and brilliant ideas. If you're Black in building or simply using tech to secure your bag, this podcast is for you. Solo say is Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder of Galaxy an open social marketplace for creators by creators that aims to reimagine the entertainment industry in fundamental ways which we all interact with digitally. I met Solo in person at Tech exec Miami where he spent a lot of time talking about how the metaverse will change the game for influencers and marketers. I asked Solo, if he were to zoom out, say three to five years from now, how might the metaverse change our lives in tangible ways? What will be different in, say, 2025? than it is right now.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think from my perspective, the metaverse is something we've been working towards for the last couple of decades, right? You think about it with the rise of social media within itself or Xbox Live or gaming platforms, online gaming and the boom that we've seen over the last couple of decades. The metaverse is something that's been here for a while. I think we're just seeing new use cases of technology and the integration with blockchain and how powerful it really can be in terms of putting together more collaboration and allowing for those opportunities to happen so when i zoom out five years i think that the metaverse is going to be very key to the way in which that we meet with people the way we collaborate the way it makes the world smaller if you've looked at the world you know the history of the world from the beginning of the time um the world has continually became a smaller and smaller place um which has created uh, many pathways to more collaboration um and integrations and things like that so i think we're going to see metaverses be a lot more interoperable. I think that's the next step, um, you know, where your, you know, personality and image is helpful in one place, leveraging it to another place and just that interoperability aspect um, that is so easily achieved from blockchain is kind of what I can expect us to see in the short to medium term. But, um, you know, it's definitely something that's here to stay, but quite honestly, I think the misconception at the moment is it's something that's new. Um, It's definitely been something that's been a pinnacle of the way in which that we've, you know, grown up with technology. And you see kids nowadays, I think they will only know a world um, that is integrated with a metaverse, right? My little brother who's 17 in high school now, like they're very, very, you know, Gen Zers are very into the internet. They're very into the world. They're into their virtual personalities and things like that. Um, so I think we're gonna continue to see more of that in the future.
2: You, you've done this a couple of times in that statement. And I don't think people appreciate this enough, but you talk about the metaverse in the plural when I hear people talk about the metaverse, they talk about the metaverse, like there will be one that we're all in. Can you describe why you're using it in the plural form?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing is, there's, it's too early to tell where the where the victors will be. And I think the ethos of blockchain is really not necessarily about what the best investment is or what the best technology is. It's really about having use cases for different things, right? So, like. The technology that underpins many cryptocurrencies right um has a lot of use cases that make sense for certain things but not necessarily sense for other things right so extrapolating that and thinking about the metaverse right i think the technology that underpins the metaverse will admittedly be different whether it's coming from different ecosystems or in general the use cases i think what we're going to see is that convergence into essentially sure there will be one metaverse but the technology that underpins it i guess that's definitionally how we've thought about The metaverse has been attached to the technology, hence the plural nature of it. Um, But I think the world will only be uh, as successful or as like the best place to be will be when there's that collaboration that happens. So interoperability is something that's really big in Web3 right now. Um, And so, you know, personally, from my standpoint, I would say that the biggest, uh, you know, thing that we're going to see in the future is really that convergence of all these different metaverses. So it doesn't really matter, you know, where you're spending money and things like that. When I would like to analog it to basically think of a credit card, right? So like you go to a bank, you buy, you know, you get a credit card, you have a line of credit. When you leave the country, you're still able to use that credit card and all the stuff that you need to worry about is really taken care of on the back end, right? Like you don't have to think about, oh, well I'm in Europe, so I need euros to then buy, swipe my credit card. It just happens, right? And I think that's kind of the, you know, practicality point of it too, but then also like when the world becomes that way, that's when you're going to see a rapid adoption of the metaverse when it's that simple, the best technology that we have. And I always say this and no, you and I were talking about it last time, but, um, the best technology in the world has created a convenience factor and it's been easy to use. It's never been something that's been required to use a dictionary or an encyclopedia to gain knowledge on it. It's something that makes sense, right? All of us, you know, a lot of us drive every single day and we don't know what actually happens under the hood of our car. Um, you turn the key and you press go, right? Like technology needs to get to that point for mass adoption. It doesn't need to be the case that you need to be an engineer to drive a car. So why do you need to be a cryptographist or some blockchain nerd to really be, participate in the metaverse? So that's kind of what I mean by interoperability. It's for a convenience factor, if anything.
2: So are you saying that there may be, you know, a metaverse for work and another metaverse to hang out with my buddies, like, you know, like a group chat sort of metaverse, like to where we just all have access to this one. But there may be another one that I hang out with family on. Are you are you are you saying that it may be that sort of situation where there's several different metaverses say- for different things?
3: I w- I would say from your from the perspective of us, it won't really matter. Like I think there will be enough interoperability and integration to the point where everything happens seamlessly. So even if in theory you're switching metaverses, like your user experience, your journey as a person will be remain constant, right? Like so that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like I think that's kind of the future of this technology is when it's as simple as plug and play. Um, you know, no matter where you are, you buy a pair of AirPods. It doesn't matter if you have this iPhone, that iPhone, that whatever, you can use them everywhere, right? Like interoperability is what I'm talking about.
2: Yeah, so I look at it, so I have little kids and I, I watch them grow up in this world to where they would rather have, and I'm, I'm kind of diverging from just metaverse, but also NFTs and things like that. I would, I would yeah. bet you if I handed them a $20 bill and $20 in Robux, they would have a difficult time picking which one is more valuable to them and so what would you say about because you just talked about this we're already familiar with the metaverse it has been here for some time in some other forms but with the the generation that is coming up and the generation now your yours in mind where we are getting adopted to this thing what does that world look like are we spending most of our days with goggles on and, and is that what it look, look like
3: uh yeah i mean i think this is a (laughs) that's an interesting question just because of the fact that it kind of gives you big brother vibes right like you're really wondering about what the world really look like are we ever gonna have human to human interaction again and i think you know just like with anything i think there are uses for technology that make sense um all the time just because you have a car doesn't mean it's the best thing for you to do like to drive from new york to la like you'll probably hop on a plane right so like i think you just take it that way um, you know, you take it one step at a time and kind of see what the use cases has developed. And the beautiful thing about this space is that at the end of the day, the best use cases for the technology haven't been discovered yet, right? And so like the way in which that we're even thinking about using the metaverse can be very different from what actually materializes in the future. And so I think right now, the most important thing is for people, you know, like us, people of color, like they really need to embrace these technologies and kind of become early adopters of them because they are going to underpin a lot of the different things that we do in the future. But ultimately, like in terms of what it looks like, you know, I think we'll definitely be seeing a lot of different integrations of it in the workplace and then potentially in social scenes as well. But outside of that, right, like when you're thinking about grocery shopping or you're thinking about working out, whatever it may be, you know, it it, it might be something that would be interesting in terms of like what those use cases develop over time. Uh, But I'd be pretty confident to say that you know, in the next three to five years, you know, we'll be spending a lot more time in the metaverse as a general population with the heavy users probably aping into it a lot more than others. But now is the time to just become aware and really learn about what these technologies could be useful for.
2: You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I wonder, particularly with, around NFTs, are we asking the right questions about what they can mean for creators? Because I was, I was watching, um, you've probably seen this, Tyler, the creator had a, you know, a rant about NFTs that last week and he was talking about you know what is an nft like when he's really outside he's got friends who are building speakers by hand and he's traveling all over the world in little little cars and he's really experiencing life in, in analog right and he's his questions like what is an nft when we're doing these things for real and so when i my question is like are we asking the right questions about th- today are we asking the right questions about the value of a digital asset
3: yeah i think um the most important thing when you think about digital assets is that the idea of value in general like take a step back has to do with what we assign to it as people right like at the end of the day like the dollar is just paper it's just like it used to be backed by gold it used to actually be representative representative of something else but at the moment it's just paper we assign value to it And so when you think about what we assign value on generally as a society is over the last two decades, like I've been pointing to before, is we've assigned more value to what we've seen behind our screens and in the virtual world than we had, you know, the previous 40, 50 years before. Right. And so when you think about NFTs, I think they fall in that same bucket where, you know, I think in one vein, yes, like I think digital assets are going to have a value just because of the fact that they're, you know, digital assets. But I think. The utility argument is going to be what becomes very key and helps, I guess, allow people to really understand it, even though it's not a situation or a concept that we're that's you know all that new or unfamiliar, right? Like like I was saying before, dollars are what we assign them, and we seem to accept that and accept that as commonplace. There will be a time where NFTs become that as well, but you know, in this sort of pivotal transitional inflection point of time. Um, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see the utility argument grow where you're going to see that use of the entity as an actual good or something that's helpful in your life and that will allow you to bring some sort of tangible value to you. Um, I think that in conjunction with us understanding about how we really assign value to things as a society is like super important. Um, and so like I think what the most important thing is like as a, as a creator, you understanding all the IP that you sit on and all of these different things. This is the most efficient way for you to monetize your intellectual property on a perpetual basis. That is super important. And for people like Tyler, the creator, they have such a big following. They're already, you know, have such a status about them that they're probably able to do all right for themselves. But the real kicker is when you have mid creator, middle-class people that are, you know, looking, I don't know if people do research these days, but the amount of people that make their primary means of income off of the internet, has skyrocketed over the last five to ten years. So for those people that aren't rich, like those people that, you know, have been able to create a life for themselves on the internet, they're influencers, but they may have trouble paying their bills. Like that's why this technology is super important for them, right? It recreates and it basically makes the situation way more equitable for those people um, where it actually counts.
2: You know. You mentioned that, you know, when things become easy to use and you don't have to be a computer scientist to understand it. that's when things, you know, get that mainstream adoption, et cetera. And I wonder if PFPs, these profile pictures, sorts of NFTs are just an easy way for us to understand what it can do, because you mentioned utility. So I wonder, like, is 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 the PFP, the board ape, the crypto, the, the crypto punk, the, you know, pick a pick one, a noun or whatever. Are they just like 101 levels of what an NFT really can mean for us?
3: Absolutely. Those are the entry points. And I think when people ask you about what an NFT is, right, like I think people get very confused, right? They're like, what is an NFT? And then I think you step back and you explain what's the difference between a fungible and a non-fungible asset. And then you take a step forward and you're like, okay. Why do I care about this digital image that I could easily take a screenshot of, right? And the fact of the matter is it's really the idea of ownership and being able to prove it, bragging rights. That's humanity, right? Like we all love to brag about all the stuff that we do own um, and everything that we're associated with. That's just human nature. And so profile picture verification, basically the idea of having you know, verified NFTs as your profile picture is a sense of status, right? That's what people really care about. And so, like, if you can go and make it your profile picture, so you get a screenshot of it. That's very different than the person that if you click their, in, it tells you all the metadata about this actual NFT that you own, right? That's like the equivalent of basically going to a museum, finding the Mona Lisa and taking a picture of it. Great. You have a picture of the Mona Lisa, so does everybody else. But that person that can actually say they verifiably own this sort of asset is going to be able to say something that you could never say, right? So I think... Seeing more avenues like that pop up will add that utility argument, which kind of makes the NFT something that's useful. Now it's a bragging, right? Now it's an item. And then also, when you think about those projects, they're clubs, so they're access, right? It allows you to have access to certain things and be able to say certain things that other people fundamentally can't. People are, there are people out there that are, belong to country clubs that never frequent or visit them, but just want to be able to say, I'm a part of this club. Right. So this is all human nature. And so I think when people are trying to make sense of this, try to create analogs to the normal life that you understand to try to understand it for something that it's completely not like or something that's different. Right. And so I think those are the few things that you really think about it. And then you think about, you know, the idea of that access being pinned to like an event or something like a physical item or an experience that you can really get. And then you really see the true power of NFTs. Um, A bunch, you know, and then five years down the line, I might rewatch this might rewatch this and be like, wow, Solo really only talked about, you know, 5% of what this actually ended up being worth.
4: State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did.
0: spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech,
5: and 281 pound-feet of torque. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N.
2: You know, I'm interested in your take on this um, idea because, and it's particularly around the investment thesis around, you know, CryptoPunks, board Ape, and et cetera. Because I was thinking about NFTs and, you know, you can anybody can go to OpenSea, which we talk a lot about on the show and, you know, find something they may want to buy, something they want to invest in. And for the longest time, I would not buy an NFT if it was not stored in like IPFS or, you know, off, you know, outside of somebody's, you know, AWS server or whatever, wherever they're serving it, because I was you know, cautious around the idea of a rug pull. Like this thing could go away. You know, it wasn't decentralized. It was stored on somebody's central, you know, thing. And I wonder, I had to rethink that because I'm thinking, why does it have to last forever? Why does it have to be, you know, immutable? Why does it have to, if... I may not care about this thing five years from now. I may want to sell it. Like, does it have to be on IPFS? Does it have to be on the interplanetary file system? And I wonder what your thought is when you might be buying an NFT. Do you care much about where it's stored?
3: I uh, personally 100% care (laughs) where it's stored, Um, but I'm pretty deep in this space. But I think uh, in the rise of security, and I think, You know i think it's interesting because i think for me as a blockchain enthusiast somebody that's very deep in the space the idea of decentralization really resonates to me also being somebody from west africa and like having a different point of view when thinking about decentralization it's super important right so like when you take a step back why would somebody like centralization because it probably does make sense in a lot of situations right and if you live in a developed world like a lot of people do um especially those that are purchasing nfts We live in a society that's based off the endorsement model, right? Like you go to the bank, you're happy you're banking with Chase. You're happy you're banking with Bank of America because that is a standard and a symbol of transparency and a symbol of like, you know, a certain level of service that you can expect to have from these parties. You go to West Africa, you go to undeveloped parts of the world, you don't have that same luxury. So like already in my mind, the way in which I think about a bank is very different than somebody that grew up in the developed world, right? And so I think what we're seeing, and obviously you see, Latin American countries, you see countries in Africa, Nigeria is a very large trader of crypto, you have people that are embracing this idea of decentralization, because you don't have to trust the other side of it, right? And so like, for me personally, that resonates with me. But I think in terms of, you know, every single user, there might be centralized solutions, or, you know, even taking a more step back, the idea is, centralization and decentralization is a spectrum, right? Like you're not entirely decentralized, you're not entirely centralized, or you don't have to be, right? And so in my mind, I think everybody kind of lives on that spectrum where they're at. For me, it's probably more towards a decentralization perspective, just because I know what the merits of the technology are. And based off of my personal opinion, I would say for you know, everyone, I think you kind of move at your own risk and you could take this, you know, a different level too, when you're buying crypto right? You can buy crypto on a decentralized exchange all day, or you can go through a centralized exchange like FTX and Coinbase, right? I think most people, average people, going to the central exchanges because there's a certain level of vetting that happens before you actually buy the asset. Uh, but I think also it just really depends on who you are as a person, kind of what you're doing. I was
2: I was reading something and you were talking about, the idea of tokenizing a person. And I'm going to ask you to dig into this and what that means, because like, what could it look like you know, cause Galaxy, your company was, you know, the original idea was, you know, to financially empower NBA players to, you know, securitize themselves, you know? So when you realize that this could work for more people other than just NBA players, like what does it mean to tokenize a person?
3: Yeah. So in my previous life, I was an investment banker. I worked in securitization and, you know, in securitization as people probably have seen from the big short and, uh, a lot of other financial movies that were about the financial crisis. You learn about um, the different ways in which people have used securitization technology to do really cool things and unlock trap liquidity and assets that are traditionally liquid. Um, so I think when you think about something like an NBA contract, it's something that you're pretty dependent on the cash flow streams coming in over a period of time to access that money. So if you know, think about my co-founder, Spencer Dinwiddie, he plays on the Dallas Mavericks now, um, You know him as a person could Unlock that shop liquidity by tokenizing himself, right? And so what we did is a couple of years ago, uh, we went into a battle with the NBA, we actually ended up getting sued for him tokenizing himself. Um, the reason why they sued or the, the reason why they were upset about him doing that is because they weren't fully aware about what the use of the technology was. And they were worried about the incentive issues that could come with a player getting paid upfront versus later on. So we ended up moving to a bond like structure through a securitization. Um, and I think what that really allowed us to do is really empower the creators and the assets that they are themselves. And so when you think about, you know, back in the day when you closed your eyes, there were people, you know, even when I was in the city, investment um, banking, there, um, there were people wondering about how would you ever tokenize LeBron James? Like he's so famous, he's so big as a person. Like how do you publicly value LeBron James as a person? And that was kind of the first step in really us doing that. And so like we thought that through these tokens, or personal tokens. Uh, personal tokenization, that's kind of our first step into eventually having somebody like an Ezekiel Elliott, somebody like a Tiana Taylor, somebody that's a very large person with a publicly verifiable market cap um, for them to be tokenized um, and for people to be able to participate in that value creation that is them as the asset. And so that's kind of where we started, eventually moved into the idea of monetizing yourself as a creator, and that means a lot of different things for other people. So like Spencer happens to have an NBA contract that can be tokenized. But a lot of people, their image and their likeness and their communities are worth tokenizing. And so with Calix, we decided to take that idea and basically take this foreign concept of blockchain and apply it to things like social media and commerce that things are already familiar with. So you take personal tokens and you use those as a method of being able to purchase things like video calls, things like video messages, exclusive content, things like the cameos, the Patreons of the world that are putting out for the top 10% of these fans. Um, we took that utility and attached it to a blockchain based asset.
1: Um,
3: and so we did that because we thought that one, you know, there's a market for that to been vo- validated by the success of those platforms. But two, it's a unique way to kind of introduce the idea of a social token and your own economy and be able to kind of monetize yourself as an asset. Um, and so the beauty of it is at the end of the day, no matter what happens to Galaxy, what happens to any other application on the creators galaxy or any world with your token, you get to own your tokens, no matter what. Um, So if Galaxy went bankrupt, God forbid, obviously, that's not what we're going for. But the idea is really, if it went bankrupt, your tokens would exist forever, just like your NFTs would exist forever, et cetera. And that's the point of decentralization. A lot of creators that make money off of these platforms, if they go under tomorrow, the whole revenue stream is gone for them. And so we're kind of moving away from that. And that's kind of like our journey uh, with the contract securitization and ultimate Galaxy.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was, when I first got into um nfts Ross gold and woulda in- introduced me to the idea of you know how i should invest in NFTs. and my first nft was an nba top shot nft and i w- i'm still not completely sold on it maybe you can educate me because it doesn't feel like it's it's not in, it's not interoperable. like i can't move it and i don't really own it i just kind of own it in this this place like I can't take it I can't take it and move it around with me. and so I, I wonder because you just talked about you know if 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 I'm investing in something on Galaxy, if Galaxy, God forbid goes away, it's still yours. like it doesn't feel the same like on an NBA top shot. So it helped me understand if I'm wrong there.
3: <laughs> yeah, so I would say so shout out to the NBA top shot guys, uh, Dapper Labs. Roham is actually an advisor to Galaxy. Um, he's a good personal friend of ours, uh, you know, to the business, and so um, they are formerly partners of ours. We're super excited to talk about what our plans might look like. Um, but you will be able to essentially move some of those assets around and be able to kind of brag about some of the assets that you do own. Um, so I would probably leave it there uh, for our, you know, talks about how we'll plan to work together. You'll have to stay tuned and follow us as a project um, on our socials, and obviously follow them for how we'll plan to work together. But um, in terms of that, yeah, like I mean, I know that the Slow Blockchain and what they've been doing over there, they have been the biggest, uh, I think they've been the biggest sale behind, you know, the wave that we're, we're experiencing now when it comes to NFTs. Everybody loves tech and everybody loves sports. And I think what those guys were able to do is really help, you know, create a very cool use case of the technology, right? And it's quite funny that NFTs are the thing that got people talking about Blockchain and crypto. And, you know, there's so much utility that comes from the, in, the structure that underpins it, but um, you know, them as a project, they're, they're definitely doing a lot of great things and they're, you know, working on their ways to, you know, come up with different ways for people to be able to use their top-top moments, move their top-top moments, and then obviously, um, you know, other projects that are building on the Flow blockchain as well. Like, they have a lot of different things coming as well, and so for them, we're, 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 we're very bullish that project um, as well.
2: And so I was I was gonna um, I, well, I did download the Galaxy app. I'm on the waitlist actually. So I was I have a question about how it could work. So maybe you can help there. I'm, yeah, I'm on the waitlist for the beta, but there's a question about storytelling because from what I understand about how Galaxy works, it's best in the immediate if you already have a following. And so I wonder, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in, in that idea but I wonder how it could work for somebody who's trying to build a following.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'd say from our perspective, it's great to have the big names. It's big to have the celebrities because it brings notoriety to your project. And we live in the endorsement model world, right? Like we talked about that, right? So if you have a platform that Zeke Elliott's on, cool, I'm a ride with that because I'm a creator. That's how I move. Um, but I think what we really value at Cali is the middle class creator. Like that is going to be what we hang our hats on at the end of the day. And so that's a segment for us that's super important, and has a lot of our attention, right? And so, yes, it's nice to help out the people or build a platform that makes sense for the people with a million followers, but those people that don't have quite crazy following, um, you know, they too are content creators and they too are famous to somebody, right? Like at the end of the day, they are famous to somebody. If you have people that are looking out for your content, supporting your content, willing to pay and support for your content, you're a creator. Um, we're all creators in our own right, and so for us at the platform right now, this is a very concerted plan to help, um, you know, through different programs and different creator stimulus things that we're looking to do, hopefully, on in the ecosystem to promote the growth of the creator middle class. Uh, but it's definitely super important. Um, I think in day one, it's super nice to have the large creators to bring notoriety and bring um, buzz to your project, uh, but the middle class is super important.
0: LinkedIn, the place to be to be.
2: So talk about like the differences in because when I hear this, I'm, I immediately think about things like Indiegogo and Patreon and, you know, crowdfunding, you know, or even like fan base on the other side. You know, shout out to Isaac. I wonder yeah. where Galaxy fits in the idea of, you know, incentivizing or, you know, subscribing to content or whatever from an influencer.
3: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I would say Galaxy is its own beast, uh, quite honestly. And I know everyone's going to get on their phone and they're going to get on these calls and kind of sing this praises of their own products. But uh, there is nothing like Galaxy in the market, right? There is nothing that makes it super easy for you to create your own token and have a marketplace for you to redeem the access and use it for something, right? Like that's the difference between what we are and like the blockchain side. So we sit at a very unique intersection of Web3 and Web2. Right. So the Web 2 components are the ones that you're talking about. You're talking about you're talking about fan time. You're talking about Patreon. You're talking about Cameo. You're talking about all these things. But those don't help you with ownership and IP. They're not built on a blockchain. Right. So basically what we did is we saw that there's a market here and we believe we're all of the opinion here at Galaxy that the world is moving to Web 3. Regardless, so you're going to have Web 2 entrants looking to move into Web 3. and You're going to have new Web 3 guys like ourselves try to capture market share there we want to be those guys that meet the massive audience in a way that makes sense for them so like we took the utility the commerce the things that people are buying on these apps attach it to a social presence a blockchain based asset uh, asset and created an app where it had a user experience that was super easy for these creators to be able to ultimately use them and so i think from our perspective um you know that's what makes galaxy very unique is we ultimately want to be that one-stop shop for creators to monetize themselves. We want to be the easiest on-ramp into Web3 for these creators, um, as well as their fans. And so, you know, you're able to do things like those video calls, the video, like those video calls, um, video messages, the subscription content, and things like that, of that nature. But you're also able to do NFTs. You're also able to do different DeFi plays. You're also able to tokenize yourself so that maybe one day if you're LeBron James and you went broke for, God forbid, what knows, like what reason, you own half your token supply. You walk into a DeFi-like bank. And because you're LeBron James and you have a publicly verifiable value, because you have a token with a token that's circulating in supply, you can borrow money against that, right? Like, it's a completely different world of possibilities that you're open to by unlocking into the industry. And so that's what makes it very different. And fundamentally, we can do a lot of things that other, cha- uh, other platforms can't.
2: So I wonder your, your ideas on medium to long term regulation of these things. And because I think about and I've heard you talk about this, like Squid Games, that that token that they put out. And, you know, they were a popular yeah. show on Netflix and they somebody put out a token around yep. it in rug pool like these. They, scammer, they took off with the bag. And so I wonder when you're thinking about how we look with regards to regulation in the near medium to near term. Do you is that something that you embrace? You want the government to look at this or do you believe that the decentralized distributed population of people can govern themselves?
3: That's a great question. I think it's a very well. Discussed topic right now, I would say, from my perspective, the regulatory landscape is very unclear. Um, So I think what people and industry experts, people like myself around. Um, The industry are waiting for, excited for the clarity that we do get. I do think there is a role for regulation to play. Um, And I think when you think about blockchain in general, I think it's an educational experience that needs to happen, right? You need to understand what the difference is between a decentralized exchange and a centralized exchange, right? The squid token where people are able to basically rug pull people out of it. You need to understand that like when you're buying something off a decentralized exchange, there is no sort of vetting process that really happens for an asset to get listed there. So like that's different than what Coinbase chooses to list, right? That's very different than what FX chooses to list. Um, so I think from that perspective, the educational aspect of this is super important. And then when you think about securities analysis, and I have capital markets background, so I think that's one that we've been able to leverage a lot at Galaxy. But uh, it very much so really understands the. the it very much so really depends on your understanding about what the goals of regulators are. And essentially what the definition of everything is. Like what really is a security, right? Like if you ask the average person, even if they own millions of dollars of stocks, if you ask them what a security, they probably couldn't tell you in like under 10 words, right? Like yet we all participate in those markets. So like I don't think it's gonna to be to the point where you need to understand every single in and out for it to be, you know, a mass adoption. Cause there are a lot of people that buy stocks that don't really know what they're buying, but they're buying it because it's a routine, it's a something that we embrace as a community. I think moving forward, you know, at least in the early days of blockchain, it's definitely helpful to understand what a security is so you can understand what you're buying and buying into and like what the government might looks like. And especially founders and creators like myself that are building in this space, they need to be absolutely aware about what those things are. So I do think there's definitely a role for regulators to play. Um, I think it's also equally important for people that are building in this space to do the work and do the diligence to really understand um, you know, what it is that they're they're building on and what they're looking to build towards.
2: You know, I, I remember well, this is kind of still a, con- a conversation that we have when people are learning the code. They're like, OK, what programming language should I use? Should I learn JavaScript? Should I learn Rails? Should I learn anything? So a lot of those that confusion stops them from even making the first step into learning how to program. And I hear now a, a parallel conversation on different blockchains. And so we talk a lot about ethereum because most nfts you know are running through ethereum and i heard you have a conversation when we were down in miami about hedera and why you use hedera and so I, if you could give us like an elevator pitch on maybe not elevator, maybe a long elevator ride on the different blockchains and why you choose some over others
3: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, Man, I love this question. Okay. So I love Hedera one. Uh, We love Hedera. Uh, Spencer's a big fan of Hedera as well. And I think when we really think about blockchains in general, there's usages that make sense for a lot of different things. And so like what Hedera has done very well is one, they've created an algorithm that is asynchronous Byzantine fault tolerant. It comes to full finality in a matter of seconds. Also in general, like when you're thinking about what we're looking to build a high volume commerce app transaction speeds need to be very, very, very short, right? Like when you go to the store and swipe your card, like you don't want to wait there in line for an hour or 30 minutes before your card goes through. Like it needs to be in seconds, right? That's the type of experience that we're going for in Galaxy. And that's the type of experience that we need in, the, in these, you know, greener, more, you know, greener, newer audiences that are coming into Web3. Um, and additionally, when we think about a company or like a blockchain rather, sorry, like Hedera, It's actually technically not even blockchain. It's a blockchain alternative called Hashgraph. Um, And I think because of that, um, that's kind of, that technology has unlocked the different things, with speed, transparency, and security, right? They've done that very well. Um, And additionally, the blockchain is owned by and governed by a number of different Fortune 500 companies. And so when I think about the adoption of blockchain, um, you know, the beauty of it is when you think about Hedera, you're thinking about Google. You're thinking about Deutsche Telekom you're thinking about LG, you're thinking about all these Nomura, you're thinking about all these very large companies that people are already comfortable with in in an endorsement society, right? When you think about Ethereum, like there are faceless people validating your transaction and yes, it's decentralized, but the government can't wrap their head around that in the same way that like they already audit and already probe these other companies from the other side, right? When you think about Hedera. So when you think about from that perspective, i'm very bullish on the government looking at hedera and being okay or at least a lot more okay with it versus the anonymity that's attached to some of these other blockchains right so that's kind of the one thing too and then at a very general level too when you think about blockchains in general uh the most important thing is really thinking about you know you have a trade-off between centralization and decentralization speed and security those are like your your funnels right and so when you think about hedera yes it's a little bit more centralized than something like ethereum because you know, there are the 39 council members and things like that. So yes, you know who they are, but you don't know who's validating your transactions, but it's a lot different than the millions and billions of nodes that are validating transactions on Ethereum's network. So because of that, it's a lot faster. And the way they get around security is the fact that these companies have a big reputational risk from doing bad things. So they're not gonna do bad things. So that's kind of how they go over the fact that it's more centralized than a decentralized you know, protocol. Uh, But that's kind of how they've solved that issue. And so while that they've been able to come up with the ideal, at least for us, uh, trade-off between security, uh, centralization, as well as speed, right? But that might not make sense for somebody that's looking to buy or settle $20 million of real estate. You want that to be the most decentralized, immutable protocol. um, And you don't care if that money shows up in 25 minutes. Um, You just want to make sure your $20 million gets there. Right. And so there are different uses for different blockchains and so like Ethereum might make sense for that. Um, if you're trying to sell a high value NFT because the market right now for Ethereum is undeniably the biggest and you want to sell a million dollar NFT. Well, there's a lot of people that own millions of dollars with a, a Ethereum, less people owning millions of dollars of HBAR. Right. So I think you kind of to have to think about these different things and facets to determine you know, what makes sense. And then lastly for us, you know, on Hedera, minting an NFT is fixed at one dollar. And that's something that resonates really well with creators because these gas fees can be quite uneconomical for people looking to monetize their own IP, especially if you're not somebody that's going to sell a million-dollar NFT, right? I can do an NFT drop where I drop 1,000 NFTs, and I know that I will predictably grow at a constant rate, which is $1,000, $1 per NFT. And so I think that's kind of how we think about um, the use of Hedera and why we chose to build on there.
2: I love that. I want to end this talking about the metaverse and giving people like an introductory, you know, thing to do. So there are folks who hear metaverse and now metaverse is, you know, a lot. And we're trying to we hear about people throwing concerts in the metaverse. We hear what meta Facebook is doing in the metaverse. Microsoft is making a play. And so if I really want to understand the world we're going to, what would you say are some easy, maybe not super easy but things i should do how can we responsibly be early adopters in the metaverse
3: yeah i would say the most important thing is do your research and do your own research i would say a good place to start is obviously crypto twitter so like twitter has a lot of different places for you to kind of make your niche in and really see the type of content you're looking for at this point i only see blockchain based content because that's what i care most about i would say there's a lot of metaverse discourse that happens on that on those forums, I'd, I'd really try to double down and really understand what's kind of going in there. Um, and then if that also might be intimidating, there's a lot of podcasts out there that are super helpful um, for you to understand this type of stuff. We didn't quite make this a metaverse show, but our show on Coindesk, New Money with Spencer and Solo, we talked to creators about how they're monetizing themselves, um, You know what the metaverse might actually mean to them. We do touch on that as well. Um, so that could be something that's helpful as a tool. Just by hearing it from people that you wanna hear from um, that are gonna to talk to you in a very colloquial manner. Um, you know, something that can be very helpful. Um, and then also just participating. Like, I think everybody should start with, you know, having a MetaMask or having some sort of wallet um, to kind of get yourself in the space and then starting to participate in these things. And I know that you guys are doing a lot of great stuff at Afrotech and Blavity when it comes to the metaverse. And I think that might be the best way that a lot of people, at least from our you know, arena, um, you know, get involved with the metaverse. Like, I think that's great what they're, you know, what, what is there a little, but I'd, I'd start with those to start.
2: And so I mentioned this because, you know, we sort of, there was a period of time, i say about a year ago to 18 months ago, where all we were talking about, it seemed like to me was AR and VR and what that was going to mean. And then it seemed like we just blew past that and said, you know, forget that web three is here. And we just forgot, (laughs) you know, like AR was supposed to take over uh, and VR was supposed to take over. And so I got introduced to this world of the metaverse and like, you know, one of my favorite movies, you know, being ready player one. And so how, how can we think about experiencing the metaverse today? To your point, doing a lot of study, a lot of research, what are easy things we can do to experience it today?
3: Yeah, I mean, I would say that there will probably be in the very next short term, in my opinion, personally, I think there will be a lot in the gaming sphere that comes with the metaverse. Because I think, like I said before, it's very much so an analog to that train of thought. When you think about Xbox Live and like people playing Halo back in the day and having online personalities and the utility of it, I think it's going to be an expanded sense of that. Um, You know, I think even on our panel, we had Celine, (laughs) who was talking about how it felt like a big video game. Um, in some ways, that's very true. And so I think that's going of be the, you know, the first way to see it um, and expand on it. And I would say that that would probably be the first thing um, in terms of that. Like, I would be on the lookout for that if you happen to game a lot. Um, that'd be super important. But then also, there's just a lot of events that are going to be done in the metaverse. Like, COVID definitely just helped propel that to the forward. And so, like, things like Afrotech and things like, um, you know, uh, other conferences and things like that for you to kind of dive in and really get your feet wet. Um, are probably the first places to start, you know, if you want to, like, learn by, you know, trial and the fire, if that makes sense.
2: Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech on the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia. And it's produced by Morgan Debon and me... Will Lucas, with additional production support by Love Beach and Marissa Lewis. Special thank you to Micah Davis, Jermaine Hall and Sakara Savagnon. You know, like the wine? Yes, that's his real name. Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at afrotech.com. In the video version of this episode, will drop the Black Tech Green Money on YouTube next week, so tap in. Enjoying Black Tech Green Money? Leave us a five star rating on iTunes. Go get your money. Peace and love. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice and grow black owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, Along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on Earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall,
3: then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with Intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder,
0: the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.
4: Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated
1: with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world.